Welcome back to the Anxious Millennial Podcast. I am your one and only host, Alexandra. So thank you so much for joining me again on my show. I'm very excited for you to hear my interview with Brandon in just a little bit. But as a preface, I would like to introduce a new segment on my show called Pop Goes the Culture. Okay, this week's segment has to do with the royals and you know it's coming at you. So this is coming off of Pierce uh, Morgan quitting or being fired. We're still not sure about that. Tabloids are left and right, but my goodness, that Oprah interview. I need to know all of the things. What did you think about it? Leave some comments on my IG. I need to know, what do you think? What what were your thoughts? Are we at all surprised at some of the behavior that we were hearing about? Um, I think the most shocking, of course, has to do with the comments on the race and the color of the baby's skin. I Look, I don't think any of this is really shocking for any of us. It was a very good piece of entertainment. I think in light of what's happening in the world, we can't possibly take this to bed with us at night. But I do think what it ignites is a bigger conversation about the relevance of the royal family. Now, I've always thought of them as not even ubiquitous throughout the UK, because to be honest with you, I think um, the Brits also feel this level of resentment towards them. But I just find it interesting that the travel draw that is the royal family, let's be honest, I mean, London is about Buckingham Palace and the like. So I just find it ironic that they were to be so audacious and so, I guess, arrogant as to really think that Meghan and or Harry were not going to go to the press with any of this kind of behavior. Now, I know there was a lot of referencing of the firm and the institution, and I guess the attempt to separate the family with the quote unquote firm. I just don't buy it because in essence, As much as, yes, the royal family is a business, I do understand that clearly they are a draw to the UK, to London, but at its root, this is a family. And to have not taken the opportunity to embrace diversity and really foray into what's quote-unquote been referred to in the news as the modern era, I think Don Lemon just said that on CNN, I thought that was hilarious, but come on, this is a bigger issue because let's be honest, they're not the only family having this kind of discussion. It's worrisome. And that Harry, bless him, had the courage to leave his 1,200-year-old institution that brought him things like security and financial security. And he just went ahead and supported his wife. I can't tell you how much courage that took. So my hat's off to you, Prince Harry. I am in admiration of probably that big, really hurtful step you had to take in your life. So, and you could tell he was hurting. I mean, it was just heartbreaking to watch. He looks like he's hurting. The relationship with his dad and his brothers. Ugh. So in any event, thank you so much for tuning into Pop Goes the Culture. And now on to my interview with Brandon. On today's show, I am joined by Brandon Dawson Jarvis. Brandon's journey is one of survival, you'll understand in a few minutes, but as Brandon recounted his life story, it gave me goosebumps from beginning to end. He's been through a lot, family strife in his early years, jail, 
and one very important culminating point that led him to finally start Grove Campus and stay tuned to the end for an exceptional Shavasana. But Brandon, it's my delight to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me. So Brandon and I, my goodness, we connected at this point probably a couple of weeks back, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So as I mentioned, your story is one of survival. And I do believe that as a result of all of that life's experience, it has made you immensely wise. Am I right? You're setting the bar really high. (laughs) No, (laughs) I disagree. I disagree. I think I'm speaking fact and I will find out in just a second because you're going to tell me what your word is for 2021. My word for 2021 would be um, community. It just means like unity. It means like we're all we're all together. We're all one. That's what it means. Mm. And looking back at 2020, Nobody was not affected by um, COVID. Mm-hmm. Everybody, poor to rich, white, black, purple, orange, green, uh, no matter where you live, no matter what country you live, we were all affected by it. And I think it was a necessary reminder that we are all one. And as we move forward into 2021, I, I don't want people to forget that as we move past or hopefully we're on the tail end of of this pandemic. I just, I hope that people remember that we are all one. You know what I mean? We all breathe the same air. We all feel, we all go through ups and downs. So that would be my word as we, as we move forward. I love the sense of unity that you've created there in the... And the grander scheme of things, how, yes, we have our day to day. Yes, we're all living in our you know, inside our four walls, if we're so blessed to have four walls. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, it just, it's it, it's added so much perspective and boiled it down to, you know, ourselves, who we are, the fact that, yes, we have blood that pumps through us. We breathe the same air. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from our first talk, you, you know, your story really struck me as one of strength. So I can understand why community would be one that, you know, a word that, is one of setting the tone for 2021. Can you tell us a little bit about how you built up that that resilience? Um, yeah, so I would say that the resilience really came to me at a fairly young age. I would say about seven, eight years old, around that that time in my life. Um, so it was. I grew up in a very very, uh, I would say, hostile environment, very toxic um, household. The relationship between my parents was very um, toxic. That's, I guess that's, yeah, that's the word that I would use to describe that relationship. It was a, it was a, they were young. My parents were were young at the time and uh, both of them carried their fair share of trauma. And I guess not really knowing how to cope, not having the tools, they kind of passed it back and forth onto each other and then ultimately onto uh, myself and my sister. Um, and so there was, we, we struggled with uh, making ends meet financially. There was a lot of arguing. My father had a lot of issues with the justice system. So sometimes he was just not around And a lot of the things that I had to face growing up in terms of like physical violence, emotional uh, abuse, all that stuff really kind of shaped who I was at the time. And it wasn't it wasn't a good shaping, um, but I just felt like 
like I, I really adopted like the victim card here. A, a lot of thoughts like why me? Why is this happening to me? These people say that they love me and they're they're doing this and they're treating me this way and they're acting like this. And then even it would go to the extent of one time I had a perceptual encounter with death, I would say. It wasn't like a real face-to-face encounter, like a, let's say, for example, a car crash where like you can say like, okay, well, that was close. You know what I mean? Like I just, in my mind, I thought that um, I could die because what happens or what happened, I should say, was when I was younger, every time I get in trouble at school, I would come home and my parents, uh, they were physically abusive. And uh, my mom was always around to stop my dad. But the one time I got in a lot of trouble and I could just hear her on the phone say like, okay, I'm not going to stop you. I am, uh, I'm not even going to be in the room while um, this is happening. And I'm overhearing this and I'm thinking to my mind, like I embark on this train of thought, like, okay, well, if she's not in the room to stop him, then nobody's going to stop him. And if he doesn't stop, then he can very well take my life. And at like eight years old, you can imagine the amount of like cortisol and adrenaline like pumping through my veins. I'm like, I need to get out of here. I need to save my life. Super survival mode kicked in and um, time ran out and he came home and that happened. And then I remember when he left, I was just like, yeah, like, why is, like, why me? Why is this happening to me? Like, what is the point of life? Like, why do we come here to experience this? And then, like, we die. So I was having these thoughts at a really young age. And then as I grew up, there was one event that happened where I was like, okay, no, it's, uh, it's time to to really take your power back and control of your life because we're, we're not going down a path um, that is making us happy so to speak. It's unbelievable to hear you, you know, look back and have that, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Hindsight has that way to really add perspective. And just to reframe and hear you speak about what it was like being in your young mind, younger mind, and, mm-hmm. you know, have that, you know, you're describing the cortisol levels. And so, I mean, yeah, anxiety is all something we have. We all share, you know, we have it in different levels. Has has the notion of mental health always been in your mind? How have you faced some of the struggles that life circumstances has presented you with? How have you grappled with some of those struggles? I think that a lot of communities are or a lot of families or cultures are really starting to open up to mental health. And I don't want to say that one community is more open than the other, because that might not be true. I just know for myself, uh, from where I come from, it was always glamorized to like, keep fighting, keep pushing, Mm. keep, keep on keeping on. Yes. And even if you have like a twisted ankle and your other leg is broken, like you still keep marching on, which to me, doesn't really make much sense. I think it, you should kind of pause and maybe fix what's going on and address it. And then you'll be more fit to keep walking down the path of life mm-hmm. instead of um, just carrying around this weight or experiences or pain or whatever the case is. So I just know that there's there were people in my family that struggle with severe mental health um, issues. Mm-hmm. And it was always like shamed or presented as they were weak or something was wrong with them. 
And now that I am kind of open to more cultures and more people and just connecting with different people, you just see it's, it just, it happens to everybody, but on different levels. And it's, we can't even say the level that we can kind of gauge it on because somebody might be struggling with some really heavy, deep stuff, but can still function in their day to day. You know what I mean? And that, it really struck me because when I was younger, I vividly remember the adults around me having a complete meltdown. And then we would go out in public and somebody would be like, oh, so how's everything? And then it'd be like, oh, great. Everything's fine. Mm. And then as a young kid, I was like, whoa, like, did we not just experience the same like thing that happened, that same episode that happened like 20 minutes ago? Like, how come you're not saying, hey, man, I'm struggling right now. I'm stressed. I'm my 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 partner's in jail like i have two children like i'm having trouble making ends meet like i'm i'm struggling keeping things together right now but you're saying everything's fine you know what i mean you're presenting a mask to the world that's not really an accurate description of like how you're feeling and i i just i thought it was strange you know what i mean like that people don't have these avenues of outlet or or ways to 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 discharge And I hear a lot about this being a new phenomenon with social media, how people like compare themselves and, and, um, just want to show that they're living like their best life and stuff like that, but like not really what's happening behind the scenes. And that's, to me, it's not a new phenomenon. I think people have been doing that for, uh, for generations now, far before Facebook was ever created. I mean, the, just just the illusions that I think are so damaging that it projects onto our society is is I mean I can I that's a whole topic in and of itself you know hearing you speak and just even your the calmness and and the way again you 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 look back with such the sense of almost Zen and we'll we'll get into Grove campus of course yeah but I think it's really fascinating to hear you talk about the way you grew up and how, you know, mental health was always at the forefront yet out in the world. And I've experienced that where, you know, you, you leave the premise of your household Mm -hmm. and, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I'm good. Mm -hmm. The the need even just to answer that is Mm -hmm. so, I think it's still prevalent today. I think we still answer that. Yeah. Right. Even when we're not feeling okay. And so I guess back to anxiety, you know, we had talked about this pivotal point in your life where you said it changed the course of absolutely everything for you. Yeah. Can you share with us what that moment was for you? Yeah. So like I said, growing up, many things happen and really shape the way or my perception of the world and my identity and stuff like that, what I believe. And though like that combination of everything, my beliefs, my perception, all that, it was getting me into a lot of trouble. It was putting my life at risk so much so to the point where I had a really unhealthy relationship, not only with myself, but like with money as well. Growing up, I thought that money was um, the cause of all my problems. So my parents would be happy if we had more money. Dad would be home if we had more money. I wouldn't have to worry about uh, making as me, I wouldn't have to worry about food. I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Like we would never be in lack if we had more money. And so, um, it started off real slow with like stealing things to make ends meet and then graduated really fast into 
just stealing more things just to have pocket money or whatever uh, I needed to, or whatever I told myself I needed to survive. But I knew it wasn't a sustainable way to live. So then I always had in my mind that I'm going to go to school, I'm going to get a job, and then I would um, hit my happiness jackpot. But before that happened, I got a part-time job at a bank and I had the thought that if I was able to pull off a inside job, then I would have money immediately, like instantaneously, and then I would have my happiness. It would be attached to that feeling of being complete, being whole. So we pulled off the inside job. The money was had, but the feeling that I thought I was going to get didn't come with it. A few months later, I got arrested, got charged uh, with robbery, went to prison, and I came out of prison. But before I came out, I asked to speak to a psychologist just because I knew I wasn't well. I knew I, I like inside, I don't feel well just because of everything that happened early on in life. I was carrying a lot of stuff, the victim card, all of that stuff. So I wanted to like speak to someone to see if I can have help dealing with it. And I was told that uh, because I wasn't suicidal, there was not enough resources to uh, to address my needs. And so I go through prison seeing horrible things, experiencing horrible things. And then I come out and then I ask for another meeting with a or a therapist, psychologist, anybody, just because of what I experienced through prison, before prison, all of that stuff. And then I was told by my parole officer that um, there was a six month waiting period. So I just thought time would take care of it. It will pass. But it wasn't passing. Like I, I was having nightmares. I had PTSD. And um, one day I got into a fender bender and there was a road rage incident. And then I ended up going back to prison because of the escalated tension between me and the other driver. And uh, my margin of error is like slim to none. I, I can't do anything wrong. So even being like arguing with someone and pushing and shoving, my parole is, is breached. I'm sent back. And at this point, I just I refuse to believe I went back to prison for like absolutely nothing like there wasn't even any damage to the cars so i was like how did i end up back here after like being in prison for two and a half years like i'm back for like nothing absolutely nothing and um i refused to to believe so, so very two two very um, important things happened the first thing was that i had a great amount of humility uh for my dad like understanding for my dad that because he kept going back and forth within the system and I always judged him for it. I was like, oh, like, how can you just not behave or stay home or, you know, be quote unquote good? And so wow. I was like, those times where now you're in the same situation that you were judging him for. So that was super humbling. And then the next part was like, I am not going to live my life like that and not a, a, in a judgment type of way, like not seeing the way that he lived his life and going back and forth and what it did to his family. But I was just like, I don't, I don't want that. I, I deserve better. You know what I mean? I want better for myself. If I ever have a child one day and this was before my son, I, I want to be there for him. I want to be there with him. And so I got a pen and paper and I wrote down my entire life from my first memory up until that fender bender, just dissecting my patterns, my thoughts, my behaviors, my tendency, my default settings, just everything. I 
got it all out on paper. And you can imagine like everything that I suppressed over my lifetime just started coming up in forms of like tension and anxiety and nightmares. And I was just like, I'm, I'm getting it all out. Like I'm not stopping. Like I'm just writing, writing, writing. I didn't leave my cell. I only left my cell to shower, do some laundry and get some food. But there was no yard time. There was no social time. There was no nothing. I didn't want to speak to anybody. I was just like committed to like getting everything out um, on onto this paper. And uh, by the time I got everything out, by the time I got to the fender bender, um, I asked myself, like, how is this possible? And I heard a voice um, in my mind say, like, it's your fault. It's your fault that you're in prison. And I was like, okay, well, if that's true, like, what about everything else? What about like all the lying, the stealing, the, che- the cheating, the the initial bank job, everything? Yeah, yeah, it's your fault too. And at that point, I kind of had like an out of body experience. I put the pen and paper down. I walked over to the TV, and this is the first time I've turned on the TV since being inside prison, which was about three weeks at this point. I turned the TV all the way up to max volume. And then I had like the biggest emotional discharge. Like it just felt like this huge ball of like energy just like opened up out of my chest. And it was super painful. I thought I was having a heart attack. And then, yeah, it just dropped me to my knees. And after it finished, I was like, okay, well, that was one weird and two we cannot recount this story to anybody because like it just it was so like yeah yeah it was intense it was super intense and after that i went into uh, a depression i i i came out of prison and i went into a depression because like i was just like i don't know who i am anymore um i don't like the same things that i used to like and i just I kept having thoughts in my mind, like I ruined my life, like taking that much responsibility for like life. It's hard. It's really hard. And so that was like the train of thought that I was having. I was like, you're never going to be happy. You hurt so many people. Uh, You hurt your, you put your life at risk, Mm -hmm. Um, all of this stuff. And um, then my partner suggested I try yoga for about a year of this being bedridden with depression. She says, maybe you should try yoga. And I was like, I think that is ridiculous. Yoga is not for me. I don't identify with a yoga class. I've been asking for professional help. Like what's yoga? What's a little stretching supposed to do? And me saying this, it sounds, uh, it's, it's really hard for these words to come out of my mouth. It's, uh, um, very salty, but, um, but I gave it a try, I gave it its fair chance and after uh, a couple sessions, uh, it really, it really took to me and life has been very different ever since. Wow. You know, admittedly, I've, I've heard that story and it has the same, if not greater impact to hear you s- recount it again. It's mm. for everyone listening. You can obviously feel that energy. I mean, you're gripping into the story and it's, I was thinking to myself as you were recounting it to me. I mean, this is worthy of being published. Have you ever thought of publishing the work, the diary that you kept, that you wrote? Is it work you're ever thinking of publishing? The thought has crossed my mind, full disclosure, it has. I think if the opportunity presents itself, I would definitely 
or if I get to that point in my life where I, I, I want to just put everything out into like a, a book or something of that sort, then yeah, yeah. I, it's something at the back of my mind. It's something at the back of my mind. There's been a few people that have mentioned that I should, uh, I should write or I should try to get like some sort of like motion picture going or, or something of that nature. But, but yeah, it's a seed that's been planted. Thank, first of all, thank you again for sharing and being so vulnerable. That story is never going to stop you know, resonating in my, in my chest. So oh. thank you yeah. for sharing it. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. Oh goodness. I heard Jane Fonda speak yesterday. I don't know if you happen to catch the Golden Globes. She's an incredible activist and she stated something in her acceptance speech of, I think it was the Cecil B. DeMille recognition award that she got for her art. And so, you know, she said about narratives and how they allow us to really lean into empathy in ways that take us out of our day-to-day and art permits that. And I'm just like, wow, that, so it struck me just based on hearing your story now, how much you would strike others as well, who are going through this suffering and feeling like they're living through it alone, probably much like you felt in that moment as well, where there's this isolation that just like, again, that ball that you mentioned that, you know, that just, release itself when you put the volume up on your TV. Anyways, Mm -hmm. it's just incredible. So thank you again. And we'll talk about yoga, but please, can you tell us, tell us about Grove Campus? Yeah. So after I went through that yoga session, I immediately went home and started meditating. And so I really switched around all of the thoughts that were really limiting to me, even if they were true. So a lot of thoughts were not true, absolutely not true. They were just false. Example, I'll never be happy again. Not true. Um, but the ones that were true, we we adjusted and we did whatever we could to kind of get out of feeling shame or guilt. And so the fact that I put my life at risk, true, um, but can we make any adjustments so that the future doesn't repeat it or the past doesn't repeat itself. I heard a lot of people, okay, true. Let's call a bunch of people and apologize. So a lot of cleaning out the attic was, um, was going on like a big, huge spring cleaning of my mind. And then it was adopting a new sense of self. So like I did a bunch of research to see a bunch of people throughout history that uh, were inspiring to me. And I was like, okay, like I want to be more like that person. Cause I, I didn't know who I was anymore, if that makes any sense. Um, but now it, it's more of a, who do I want to be? And then it was, I need to, I need to share this practice of yoga because I know there's a lot of people out there, uh, who are struggling mentally, emotionally, physically. And I don't have any shame around my story anymore or what I did or what I've been through. Um, because I know that a lot of people go through whatever it is they go through. It might be, it, it might have different textures or flavors, but essentially we all go through something, you know what I mean? And, and the more that we're open and honest and can speak about it, um, the more space it gives others to, to do the same instead of just harboring and keeping everything inside. And so I got out on Instagram because um, before I went to prison, there was no Instagram. And I came out to a whole new world of like Airbnb, Uber, Instagram, not knowing any of these things, but Instagram was the hot thing, right? So I got on Instagram and um, 
I made a Grove Campus account, not knowing what it was going to turn out to. I was just like, I want to do something. And um, I started sharing a little bit about what yoga um, had done for me. And naturally, people who knew me before yoga got a real big startled moment like uh, what's going on with Brandon type moment because um, the version that they're seeing is obviously the version that you're seeing right now. But in their mind, last time they checked was like this impulsive, angry guy that just got out of prison. And so it's just like, it's not adding up. So I was like, yoga, you guys need to try it. Um, I refined my answer to like, it it was really like the self um, study coupled with the yoga. Um, and so I started doing like one-on-one sessions because people asked me to, to teach them and then they kept coming back. So I was like, okay, well they must like it. Mm-hmm. And then more people started asking and I was like, okay, well let's get everybody together and let's do a group session. At this point in time, I, I wasn't certified, so I don't feel comfortable charging people cause I'm, I'm just winging it right now. Um, but I don't want to do it for free. So how about we meet halfway and uh, we'll do what is known as karma classes, pay what you can. And we'll use that to support um, different community initiatives. And so it started off with like school supplies, holiday toys, and uh, it's grown ever since. So uh, we've been doing a, a few different things and uh, we just released our first line of, of yoga mats. So that's uh, a way for us to be sustainable because all of our yoga offerings events thus far have been um, pay what you can. And we've been using that for different, uh, different initiatives that we have going on. So right now, really cool, I'm excited, is uh, an initiative to support um, expecting moms because of COVID. They can't have baby showers and, and there's no kind of um, sense of like support and stuff like that. And what should be really a beautiful time when you're expecting a baby has been uh, been kind of uh, shifted to like a time of stress and like kind of isolation and stuff like that. So we're curating this box for uh, mama bears to uh, to welcome their little cub. Oh, that's so wonderful and creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was even hearing you say, you know, a self-study, that that's what came out of you for yoga. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it about yoga? Is it is it the mix of meditation? Is it the the movement? Is it the breathing? What palpably, what is it? So I think well the breathing, the breathing is definitely key, but I think it's really the ability to be with yourself. For myself, it was very hard to be alone, be with myself. I had trouble like even reading before just because like my mind was so like it was racing a lot. It was hard for me to concentrate. My thoughts were very heavy. And um, like I always found myself really dependent on other people, even if it was just for company. And now you're thrown into this, I'm going to call it an art form. You're thrown into this activity, this art form where it's just you. It's just you. You, you, there's nobody to depend on. There's nobody to blame. There's nobody to, it's just you, you by yourself. And it's how are you with yourself when you're by yourself? How's that voice in your head? Is it angry? Is it, is it putting you down or is it nurturing? Is it picking you up? And that's where 
that's the difference because before the voice in my head was very, like I said, angry, impulsive, and uh, it wasn't healthy. We didn't have a healthy relationship. And I know I'm speaking in the third person. It sounds weird, but it's just, it, that's what makes sense to me. And now it's more of a, uh, an encouraging voice. It's like, yeah, you can do it. Like when I wake up in the morning, it's like, yeah, it's a new day. Let's see like what we can do today, what we can learn today, how we can improve for the next year, five years, 10 years, whatever it is. What seeds can we plant right now? When you're doing the actual movement of the yoga postures, it can be very, not painful, but you're, you're moving through discomfort, right? It's, it's not, it's not comfortable. Right. If you ever experience pain, maybe you're going too hard, too fast, but definitely you're moving through discomfort and and the breathing helps you. Right. Because when you apply that to life and something becomes uncomfortable, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a traffic jam, whether it's you asking your boss for a raise, your breath will change. You know what I mean? And that has a whole uh, communication with your nervous system and then your body will react. And it's like, OK. This is stressful. How can I how can I relax? How can I breathe? How can I release tension in my body? And it and it's really that ability to take what you've learned on the mat about yourself and then apply it to your to your everyday life. Everyday life. And that's uh that's what yoga has done for me. And that's what I try to preach in my in my practices. Because if you don't bring what you learn off the mat, um, all you did was move. All you did was move and breathe. And you can do that with swimming. You can do that with doing your dishes. You can do that with any any kind of, you can go out for a run, you know what I mean? But it's really, the yoga to me is the, the ability to adopt and integrate um, everything that you've learned. It, it really is a holistic practice. So yeah. learning to bring what you've learned off the mat. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, tell us where everybody can, cause just listening to you, I want to like break out my mat right now. <laughs> I mean, you're so, you just soothe and ground me. Where can we all follow you? Yeah. So you can follow on Facebook and Instagram at Grove Campus. You can check out our website for all of our offerings, or if you want to shop any of our products at grovecampus.com. For me personally, you can follow on Instagram at Brandon Dawson Jarvis. Brandon, I was wondering if we can cap off our wonderful interview. Can you bring us through maybe a 60 second, one minute Shavasana or bring us through sort of a closing meditation? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I could definitely do a quick meditation. Okay, so let's get right into it. So I'm going to I'm going to invite you to find a comfortable position. So if you're seated, perhaps come onto the edge of your seat. You can uh let the soles of your feet connect to the ground. Decide where and how you want to place your hands. If you haven't already, perhaps you want to soften your gaze or completely close the eyes. If you're lying down, just find a comfortable resting position here and just connect to your breath. Just start simply by inhaling and follow that inhale all the way down into your lungs. Allow your lungs to expand, allow the belly to expand, rib cage, following that inhale all the way up to the chest and slowly exhale, allow the body to soften here. And doing that a couple more rounds, just like so. Noticing 
how you have to let go of any resistance in order to expand the body, allowing the breath to flow naturally here. And then enjoying the softening and relaxing on the exhale. And if there's any lingering tension in the body, I'm going to invite you to let it go on your next exhale. Exploring your heart center now. I'm going to invite you to soften any walls that you've created. Maybe send breath there. Knowing that whatever you encounter in this space at this moment is completely valid, it's completely natural. Just remember to always be compassionate to yourself, to whatever you experience. And finally, we're going to explore our thoughts. Noticing the quality of thoughts. And again, there's no part of you that needs to be shamed, needs to stay in exile, just welcoming Anything that arises right now, whether your thoughts are light or heavy. And if there's an intention that you want to set in order to guide your thoughts, give them a North Star. Maybe set in that intention right now. What feeling would I like to cultivate for the rest of my day that I could bring in for tomorrow and the rest of my week? Maybe even in the month. What feeling would I like to share with others? If I can offer this gift, maybe of peace, of joy, of gratitude. And we're going to slowly shift out of our meditation. And in order to do so, I'm going to invite you to slowly blink your eyes open, taking the space around you. Welcome back. Hmm. Hello. Thank you so much. Namaste. My pleasure. Namaste. Everyone, that is the magic that is Brandon. I hope you enjoyed this gift. Thank you for being on today's show. You're too kind. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. A special thanks to my guest, Brandon, for being such a trooper. He did that with no preparation at all. Let me remind you, that was completely impromptu. So, Brandon, you have a gift. Thank you for blessing us with that moment of breath and groundedness. To you all, thank you once again for joining me on the Anxious Millennial Podcast. Have a great week ahead, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.